0: So here's what we're going to talk about today. We sort of spoke about vacation last week. So I'm not quite going to talk about that. But I'm going to talk about something that I think is very relevant around vacation time. And it's really relevant in general during this time of year. And that's gambling. Gambling or addictions, and I mean that because when people go away, they often put themselves in a surrounding where there's a lot of drinking, there's a lot of gambling, there's a lot of things that are even worse than those two, and they seem to be around a lot, and gambling also is something that during the football season, which we are nearing the end of, it seems to be something that a lot of people do, either a little or a lot. Here's the context of what we are trying to do. I want to try to help you in understanding when it's happening all around you. Because drinking, we see a lot. We see people who do a little and people who do a lot. Gambling, you see a lot. You see people who do a little and people who do a lot. And drugs, sadly to say, the same thing. We see a lot. How, as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, as a sister, as a grandmother, how do you, like, know what's happening? How do you know what to believe? How do you know what you're seeing? And that's what we're going to try to focus on. And the reason why We're focusing on it, or what sort of tipped me to this in the parashah is I think something that is very helpful in understanding this concept. We're now in the book of Shemot. The book of Shemot is the 12 tribes passed away, and now the Jewish people are entrenched in Egypt. They're going to be there for 210 years. It starts with killing the boys, then it comes with throwing the boys in the river. Then Moshe, little baby Moshe is born, and his sister puts him in the river, and he's saved by the daughter of Paro. He grows up in Pardo's house when he's 13 years old. He goes out and he sees first an Egyptian man trying to hurt a Jewish man, and the next day he sees two Jewish men fighting, and before you know it, he runs away. And he runs to the country of Midian, and he sees these girls and he eventually marries one of them, the daughter of Yitro. And then he's out as shepherd in the field and Hashem appears to him in a burning bush. And God gives him all the instructions and his mission statement, what would be the mission statement for the rest of his life, to go to Egypt, to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. And then Hashem says one statement. And it's that one statement that to me is very telling as to how people are. It's a statement that most of us only associate with Paro. Hashem says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you to go to Paro and speak to him. I am going to harden his, his heart. And he won't send the nation. Here's my plan. I am going to harden his heart. And because his heart is hardened... You're going to have, be able to perform all ten plagues. There's going to be a tremendous amount of punishment that he's going to endure. And then he's going to send the nation. Hardening the heart, to me, is the best description of an addict. Someone who is deeply entrenched in things has a heart that is hardened. That you can't really talk to them. And you can't even understand them. And they can't even... They don't even understand their cells. Their mind is stubborn to the point that their heart is hard. So again, I want to try to help us understand what's happening. You go away and you see a million people at slot machines. What does this mean? Is that a big deal? Is it not a big deal? How bad is it? And one more little introduction and then we'll get right to it. I am not talking here about halacha. I might say something is not such a big deal, but it may be halakhically wrong. I don't mean that it's, it's okay or not okay. I just mean in terms of big deal or not a big deal, in terms of these contexts and what it's going to lead to. So I think there are three steps in what happens. It's slow, and then they become delusional, and then they become a joke. The classic question that's asked about paro, every Jew has heard this question. How can Hashem, this, let's start it from the beginning. That Abbaam in his work in El Chot says this famous and clear statement, that every single person has free will. Every person is granted with the will and the power to decide and determine what they're going to do in their life. There's nothing good or bad that anybody is forced to do. Every single human being has free will, has the choice, has the power to make their own choices. Nobody can force you and no one can make you sin. You are the one who decides what you're going to do and what kind of person you're going to be. It's 100% in your power. He says, and if a person makes mistakes and if a person sins, they get punished. All simple statements. Unless, of course, they do teshuva. Then... You can avoid the punishment. Good. And then here's the statement that I'd like to focus on. He says, but What do you mean? There are times in the Torah where it says that someone's heart gets hardened, which means they don't seem to have the chance and the ability to do Teshuva. And here's his explanation for why that can happen. Because there is sometimes that a person can, can commit chet gadol, a great sin, or chataim rabim, or a lot of small ones, until the great judge decides, until God decides, we are not going to allow Him to do Teshuvah, and we don't give Him the chance anymore to return. He says, everyone has free will. If a person makes mistakes and sins, he gets punished, but he has the free will to change. Unless... They've done a sin that's so big, or so many of these small sins, that it gets to the point where God says, I'm not taking your teshuvah anymore. And that's what happened to Parol. Parol was so bad that God said, I don't care, you can't change now. You went to the point of no return. Your sin and what you've done to the Jewish nation is so bad that I am going to force you to stay this way. And that's why one plague and another and another and another and it's ridiculous because it's six and it's seven and you'd say, he made a prediction every time and he was right, why are you still doing this? It's very simple. God said, you got so bad that I'm not letting you return and change your mind. But in that statement, he gave us the little hint to what we're talking about. He says, sometimes a person could commit a sin that's so bad Or he could do a sin so many times that it gets to the point where there's no return. And that's what seems to happen when people become addictive, is that it happens so many times that they get to the point where there's almost no return. And here's the biggest, hardest part, is that it usually happens very slow. And so you can't tell when it's happening. Every single thing that is addictive has a start-off that's not a big deal. Every single thing. A person takes a drink of beer on a Sunday afternoon watching a football game. Whether it's good or not so good, it's not in itself the end of the world. A person gambles a few dollars or a slot machine only when they're away. Again, I'm not saying right or wrong, but not, the whole world doesn't end from it. And here's what happens. You're a mother or you're a wife and you're like, Honey, why are you doing this? Nah, it's no big deal. Everyone does it. And then the next day, Ness, nice. I told you, no, everyone, come on, I told you, it's not a big deal. You want to I show you how many people out there? What do you think? You see me with this lot? There's a million people coming with me. All my friends are coming. You tell me they're all going to die one day. And that's what happens. Then the next day, it's not such a big deal. What do you, come on, you're out of it, Ma. You know, oh honey, you don't realize that how many people are doing this. You just, you think you are some rabbi scared you. It's not a big deal, come on, it's not a big deal. It's so normal, it's so regular, everyone's doing it so regular. And every time they say the statement, they're right. And also at some point, they're locked in. I'll give you an example. Anyone ever hear of fantasy football? You know what fantasy football is? You know what fantasy football is? There are thousands and thousands of boys and men in this community that have a fantasy football team. I mean thousands and thousands, not exaggerating. Between 13 and 35, thousands of people have fantasy football teams. Let me tell you how it works for a second, okay? Give you a little education. Next time you hear it, you'll know what it is, okay? They own a team. Here's how it works. Ten guys, let's say ten community guys get together in a room. Each person puts down $250, let's say. For $250, we get to choose a team. Here's how my team works. I choose a quarterback from the Denver Broncos. I choose a wide receiver, that's the guy who catches the ball, from the Dallas Cowboys. I choose another wide receiver from the Green Bay Packers. I choose a running back from the Kansas City Chiefs. You getting the idea? And these are my players. You choose your players. You choose your players. We can't choose the same players. We each choose different players. Now the football season starts. It starts somewhere in September. The football season starts. First game of the season, here's what happens. I play you. So Joey's playing Freddy. Freddy's players, we get his score and how his players are doing. And we find out the statistics of how my players are doing in the regular, real NFL, in the real NFL. And if my players do better than your players, I win this week. And then next week, we will pay Stevie. And if my players do better than his players, you know, let's say he has... I have the quarterback of the Patriots, and he has Hazit, the quarterback of the Jets. So he's going to lose. And I am then going to up then by the end of the season... They play for like it keeps going through the whole season, the whole NFL season. It could be four months. At the end of the four months, whichever team has the best record, that team wins all the money. So we each put in two fifty. I win the whatever it is twenty five hundred dollars because my team went ten and two this season. Getting the idea? Got it? You got a football education right here in the class. Okay. Anyone who does it will tell you that everybody does it. And there is a lot of truth to it. Everybody does it. Really everybody does it. I'm not exaggerating exactly when I say everybody does it. Everybody does it. And actually it in itself, whether it's halakhali right or wrong, I'm not getting into it, But it in itself is not catastrophic. It's not. I mean you're spending $250 to play a game for four months. Four months of fun for $250 is not a crazy... Even if you lose the money, it's not the craziest thing in the whole wide world. And in itself, it's not a big deal because it's simple and it doesn't seem like anything and it just doesn't seem... It's nothing. But there's a few people in that group that will keep going. And they'll keep going. And they'll bet more. And they'll bet every Sunday. And then they'll bet even when the season's over. And it's so hard to tell which is which. In essence... It's like somebody going down the steps of the Empire State Building. And you walk down the steps and you're walking down the steps. At any step, is every st- any step a big deal? No, I just took a step. I just took another step. I took another step. It's not a big deal. At some point, I don't know if it's once you went down 10 stories or 20 stories or 30 stories, at some point you look around and you say to yourself, I'm never walking back up. But it's so hard to tell which step that is. And that's what this is. Hashem says sometimes you can make a mistake over and over and over and over and over again until you get to the point of no return. And the same thing happens with drinking. That everybody has a beer or anybody will drink a little at a Sebit and it's so hard to say that there's any big deal with that. Because there might not be a big deal with that. A person, he's 30 years old, he's married, has a few kids and has a little drink at a 7 I'm not sure that's the end of the world. So again, it's normal, 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 until you hit a step that you can't come back. And you're in. There's a Pasukim shle that says it, I think, very well. It says, Koved Even, the weight of a rock, Venetel Hachol, and the weight of sand. Now, rock weighs a lot because the rock. Is just heavy, it's big, it's huge, it's heavy. Sand weighs a lot, the sand itself isn't heavy, but you start to accumulate more and more and more and more and more and more sand until the sand becomes so heavy you can't pick it up. A rock itself might be big, but a sand is impossible to lift if you have enough little pieces. Both of them the kas evil koved mishnehem, the anger or the frustration of someone who's ignorant, who's imbecilic, who's dumb, is heavier than both of them. And what that means is that sometimes the sand and the rocks could gather up so much that you just can't lift it. And there are people who've gotten this way in their life. Is that all these little things, every blade of sand is not a big deal. Every grain of sand is nothing. And they just pick up one little thing and one little thing and one little thing and one little thing and and every single one is normal. But then all of a sudden, you put all those bottles of beer together, and you're not normal anymore, and you get to a point where you can't return. Then the next thing happens. The next step that happens is they become delusional. Here's what, there's a famous Midrash, two different places, that seem to say two different things that have a very powerful and important message about every single person's Yetzirah. The Midrash says that when the Jewish people committed the sin of the Eger, what's the thing that put them over the top and got them to do it? The Satan came and told them, where's Moshe Rabenu? Moshe is dead. He didn't come back. He's not coming back. They say, no, he is coming back. Satan says, no, he's not coming back. Until the Midrash says the Satan created this image of Moshe Rabenu dead in the sky. He says, look. Zer, Moshe Aish, this man Moshe is not coming back. And that's when the Jewish people went crazy and committed the sin of the Ege. He created an image. And then the Midrash says, very similar thing, when Abraham Avinu is going to the Akedah, he's walking to Akedah to sacrifice his son, and the Midrash says that the Satan came and made this image of a river in front of him, and Abraham tried to cross, and it got higher and higher until it got to his neck, and he couldn't cross, and he prayed to Hashem, get this obstacle out of my way, and Hashem took it out of his way. Now what does it mean? Is it literally a river? Is it literally, was Moshe dead or not dead? How do he create? Here's the answer. The answer is what the Yetzirah does, is Satan and Yetzirah does the same thing, and he does very well, is he creates illusions. He creates imagery in your mind that this is happening. And that this is awesome. And so he puts in the image in your mind of Moshe Rabbeinu dead. You can practically see it. It's so real to you. And he creates those things and they crush you. And this happens with this all the time. I had a boy who called me up a few weeks ago. He says, Rabbi, I was just in the Bahamas for the weekend. I said, okay, good. He says, Rabbi, over one weekend, this is a single boy, over one weekend, I made over $60,000 betting. He says, I was bad. Forget it. He says, and Rabbi, you don't understand. I kept Shabbat, and that's why Saturday night I made 25000 just on Saturday night. Hashem was with me. Hashem was taking care of me. He loved me. You don't understand. He says, Rabbi, you had to see how they're treating me. They're giving me food. They're putting me in stretch limousines. I don't have to pay. All my friends are going, like you went with 10 friends. They're going gaga over me. I was like, un- I felt like a king, Rabbi. Satan, the Yetzirah is awesome because he puts this whole fantasy in this kid's head of this whole image and this excitement. Why do you think football is called fantasy football? Because they make you have this fantasy that you own a team, that you are, you run the NFL. It's my players. You ask a kid, or ask, I forget kids, 28-year-old, 30-year-old adults, my players are playing this week, he's playing this game, my players, my team, it's all part of that mirage and that image that happens in your head. And once it gets there, for example, there's another thing they bet. It's called suicide. You know what suicide is? Here's how it works, football, suicide. So Though it's, it's not as bad as it sounds, Okay. The way it works is is every week you pick one team, an actual NFL team to win. If you're a team, you could put in you put in 200 dollars at the beginning of the season or 100 dollars at the beginning of the season and you pick a team. Okay? That team wins, you stay on. Next week you pick another team. You can't pick the same team. So it has to be a new team. You're going to say that team wins. So one week Miami Dolphins are for sure going to win. Next week New Orleans Saints are for sure going to win. Next week, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I'm saying they're going to win. So every week, do I know too much? Yeah. <laughs> God, God, for Shalom. Are you serious? You really asked that question? No, Hasid Shalom, not at all. I just know a lot of people who do. But here's what happens. Every week, a lot of people that playing, you could have in one pool, you could have 300 people playing. And 20 people get knocked off one week, and 20 people get knocked off. There's a few people I know that towards the end of the season, there were four people left in the pool, and they were playing to win $200,000. Now, if you're one of those last four, here's what happens if you're one of those last four going for that $200,000, And you play that weekend and you pick a team and it happens to be that on the third play of the game, the quarterback breaks his leg and they lose. You're so angry, but you're so sure that I know this. I am good at this. Next year, I'm going to pay for five slots because I know I'm going to get it. Look how far I got. Just the quarterback just got injured. You can't predict an injury, but I, I got it. The minute you think that is the minute you're dead. But that delusion is what this Satan, the Yetzirah, does. He does it to a woman who's dieting and wants a cookie. It's the same thing. He makes you think that that cookie's got like a little heaven in it. It is. It's true. He just makes it. And then you eat the cookie and it just was just a cookie. But in your, that's what he does. He creates this imagery and this mirage that this is what you're seeing, this unbelievable thing. I'll give you an example. There's a kid I know, like 19, 20 years old, loves to play toilet, loves to play backhand. He might even play for money, I don't know, loves to play. So one day he comes to me, he says, Rabbi, can you play me? I don't have time, I don't have time. A couple of days ago, he says, Rabbi, can you come to play with me? I said, okay, I'll play you toilet. No problem. I played in toilet, okay? No money, no nothing, just the game, okay? You know toilet, backhand, yeah. I don't know what it's supposed to be called, whatever, good. Who do you think won? So I went to all his friends after I played, and I said, "If let's say his name is Jeffrey, I said, if you have, Jeffrey was playing Rabbi Haber, who are you putting your money on? So a couple of kids, people tell me, oh, Rabbi, your Rabbi Hashem is going to help you, but everyone else can, but everyone else was like, oh, Rabbi, all due respect, I'm putting it on Jeffrey, all due respect, but my money's on Jeffrey. I said, very nice, because if your money would have been on Jeffrey, you would have been eaten for dinner. Because you know how much I beat him? I beat him, he didn't even, he ate one piece. That's how much I beat him. I ate him for lunch. Now he's a hundred times better than me. He's played a thousand times more than me. But you know, and in his head, he thinks that he's the master. He doesn't realize that it still boils down to dice. And if the first dice that I roll is double fives, and the next is double sixes, I own you. And that's what happened. I owned him. And you know what happened after that? In my mind, I thought I'm the man, And I'm thinking to myself, like, bring him on! Who's the next guy who's ready to test Joey Haver? But that mirage is what the Satan does, and what the Yetzirah does, he makes you think that you got it. That kid in the limo thinks... That he is the gambling king. That all these casinos that were built, they mean they don't know what I know. They're for dumb people. I tell every kid who gambles, every grown-up who gambles. So you see that casino? cost a billion dollars to build that one. A billion dollars, of course. They built it all on dummies like you. That's the fact. They took your money. They took your... Oh, wow. Why do you think the guys who win a lot, they send them limousines and they give them free plane rides because they want them coming back. Keep thinking that you're going to win everything. They want you to think that once they know that's in your head, they own you for life. Once you get that delusion in your head that, oh, I got this. This is great. Once you have a drink that you feel, wow, I never felt this before. The minute you say that, you're dead. The Gemara Masseghet Sanhedrin talks about gambling. And the Gemara says clearly that it's wrong, but the Gemara then says that there's a level of gambling that's worse than wrong. There's a level of gambling that the person can't even testify, we don't trust him on anything. You know it's, this guy gambles to this level, and he testifies that you bought something from you. We don't trust him. We don't trust him on anything. So the Gemara says, what is that? There's one person who just gambles a little, and another person who becomes fully engulfed in gambling. Gambling becomes their life. And once it becomes their life, and Menha men he's not from normal society, because he doesn't think like a normal person. He doesn't, he doesn't understand things like a normal person. And once that delusion happens, it's over. We say on Yom Kippur, we say a whole list of al-chets. al Al-khet is a sin... That I, Alchet, God, let me do teshuvah, Alchet, on a sin that I did by mistake, Alchet, shachatano lefanecha bemezir, Alchet, shachatano lefanecha beones, Alchet, shachatano lefanecha bevlidat, a sin that I did on purpose, a sin that I did by mistake, a sin that I didn't know, and then there's one line in there that's very peculiar line, Alchet, shachatano lefanecha beyetzer hara, a sin that I did before you with the yetzer hara. Isn't every sin with the Yetzir Hara? What does that mean? A sin that I did before you with the Yetzir Hara? And the rabbis say this, is that there are some sins that the Yetzir Hara helps create this huge image in your mind. And because of it, that's why you sin. That sin, you're saying, Achet, God, I, forgive me for that image. When that image is starting to build, when the person starts to think, I got this, I'm the king, I'm the master. I know football like nobody else. They're talking about me. They got an article about me in the newspaper. I'm a big deal. The minute that happens, you are very dangerous. And then, you become a joke. Hashem in Parashat Bo tells Moshe Rabbeinu this. He says, I'm now going to harden Paro's heart." This is midway or towards the end of the plagues. I'm going to harden his heart so that I could bring more plagues on the Jew, on the nation the Egyptian people. Uleman and another reason, to saper I want you to tell your children, and your grandchildren, this that I played with Egypt, the mockery I made out of Egypt. What is the word hitalalti? What does mockery mean? So there's another place in the Torah where he uses the same word. When Bil'am's donkey spoke to him, the donkey speaks to Bil'am and says, Why'd you hit me three times? Says, Bil'am, because you made a mockery of me. What does a mockery mean? A mockery is this if I, there's something that I can't do, if I can't jump 12 feet, that's not a mockery. If I make a little mistake, that's not a mockery. It's not a mockery if I can't run 100 miles an hour, that's not a mockery. A mockery is something that anno- I stop thinking like a human. When a human starts to become an animal, and an animal becomes a human. When my mo- mindset and my thinking process, when the donkey is smarter than Bilam, that's a mockery. When he has a donkey who can talk and knows what's happening and Bil'am has no clue and he's clueless to why the donkey's stopping. When the donkey understands something that Bil'am doesn't, that's a mockery, that's a joke. Paro was a joke because any two-year-old can see it, that this is ridiculous and Paro can't see it. His heart was so hardened that he became a joke. And that's what happens in this process. You go from slowly to delusional to a joke. I'll give you a few examples. Two examples. This happened seven, eight years ago, I remember it. There's a young boy who was into gambling. So what he used to do was something called a parlay. You're getting a gambling education here. Parlay means he'd pick, let's say, twelve basketball games in one shot. And that means he's picking one team to win by 10. He's picking another team to lose by less than 6. Another team to, two teams that are playing to score over 209 points. Another team to win by 11. And, and so on. And he puts down $3. And if he gets all 12 things right, he wins like $1,500. You get the idea because 100 things have to happen right. Guy put down $3 on a parlay, twelve. Parlay, and everything went right in fact two teams didn't have enough points the game went into overtime and that's how they had enough points everything went right so I saw the kid and I said to him okay $1,500 he says Rabbi don't worry I'm giving you the mased for some organization you have I said oh how nice I said okay good two days later called the kid I said okay where's the masad he says Rabbi I don't have a dollar left I said what do you mean He says, "Ah, I just gambled it away. Now, you're a joke. Well, let me give you a better example. This one, a person, this is a true story that happened in the community. It's someone who actually helps people, I think, now. And he tells a story. It's a famous story. As a young boy, he was a gambler. He was a big sports fan and a big sports gambler. So he put money down, $100, $1,000, $100, $1,000, on all kinds of sports. He was winning for a while. And then he started losing. And he's $2,000 in the hole. And Then he's $5,000 in the hole until he gambled again. And now he's $10,000 short. He's short $10,000. a kid. I don't know how old he was. Maybe 18, 19. He doesn't have $10,000. Okay? He has guys coming after him for that money. They want to hurt him unless he gives them money. So he's under so much pressure. He says, okay, here we go. We're going to play... Double or nothing. We're going to put down money on this game. If the team wins by 13 points, then I don't owe you anything. If they win by 12 or, they loo- or less or they lose, then I owe you 20000 Got it? Now, right here, stop right here and you say, you're a joke. But let me show you how big of a joke. So the team is playing. I think it was the Lakers. And they're playing. That's from L.A. And they're playing and they're doing great. They're winning. He picked them to win by 13. They're winning by 20. 25. He's got this. Now, this is how it works in basketball. Is once they know the game is basically decided, like there's 25 points, you're not coming back. They put in like, it's called. They put in the scrubs. Like they put in the Hazit cases. They put in the, uh, it's called garbage time. Like they just put in... Then he, guys, just end the game, okay? Whatever, do whatever you whatever. So they put in the scrubs. The game is 17 points, 15 points, back to 17, back to 19, down to 15, down to 14. There's three seconds left to the game. The guy on the other team gets the rebound, and he just, for no point, because the game is over, just runs to the other side of the court, and just flicks the basket in. No one even stopped him. Nobody cares. And it went from 14 points to 12 points. And he was down $20,000. That's the joke. Paro became an addict. Watch any human being who was watching Paro as it happened would have looked at him and said, how dumb can you be? How possibly dumb can you be? Do you ever see an addict? They're exactly the same way. How could you possibly take another shot? You see what it's doing to you. You see what it's doing to your marriage? You see what it's doing to your future? You see what you're doing to your kids? Do you love you love your wife? Yes, I do. Do you think you have a good future? I really do. Do you want to have money? Yes, I do. It's so clear. And then a day later a day later it happens again. Or they have a great spell. So it's a month later. But then a month later they're so back in. They became. Uh, there's no other better description than like Paro. Their heart. They did it so many times. That their heart is hardened. And it's stuck. And it's like a rock. And it becomes a little bit of sand. That piles into a little bit of more sand. Until there's so much sand. You can't lift the truck. And that's what happens. It becomes so much and you don't know what point it is because it's so hard to identify which step made it happen and they're delusional throughout the process and they're telling you it's no big deal and in the beginning when they said they're no big, it's no big deal they were actually telling the truth, it really wasn't a big deal and they didn't realize that this Sunday wasn't a big deal and next Sunday wasn't and next Sunday wasn't but all of a sudden the 12th Sunday was. They didn't realize it! And now all of a sudden they became these delusional people, that have this whole imagery of what they're going to become, and then they become a joke. And the joke is really a very sad one. So we're almost done the class. I didn't even tell you what to do. Now I'll be honest with you, I'm not a professional and I hate people that aren't professional that act like they are. So I'm just going to give you a couple of quick thoughts about this concept because when you're sitting and watching around you and a person in a week from now or two weeks from now you're with someone and someone says yeah it's not a big deal Uh, you just got drunk for the third night in a row and they tell you it's not a big deal these are a couple of things the best that I can do I think that we need to know number one is you are lucky if your family members never get on the stairs. That means if they never have that beer, and if they don't even do fantasy, and they don't even drop $10 on a game, and they don't even try any of these things, you're lucky. And if you could make yourself that lucky, if you could do anything you can do in your power, it's worth it. Because even if it's true that everybody does it, life is so much easier if you never take the stairs. The next thing you can do is really pay attention. And don't allow yourself to just be some dumb person who doesn't really know what's going on. I don't get all this football stuff. No, no, no. Pay attention. In fact, Safe May wrote a letter that they asked rabbis and community, of shul presidents to read this past Shabbat. And I'm not going to read the whole letter, but there are a few points in this letter that I think are good. And here's what they said. You have seven each one is like one line. First, take the time to learn as much as you can about drugs, alcohol, and gambling and what use, abuse, and addiction to these dangerous things can do. Two is constantly work on your parenting and communicate communication skills while developing a loving and trusting relationship with your children. Tell your children that you love them often and in a variety of ways. And the reason why that's true is because if you don't have a means of communication happening, you're basically cooked. Three is empathize with them and truly try to understand their life challenges and their problems and concerns and fears. In fact, ask them what they are and don't belittle them for having the emotions. Like to come home and say to a kid who does some of this and say, Or well, have even said, it, it's all no good. That you're not understanding them. Number four is warn them in no uncertain terms the dangers of alcohol, underage drinking, drugs, nicotine, gambling, and the consumption of illegal chemicals and lay out clearly expectations of them. Five is set boundaries of behavior with consequences and do your part as a parent to act responsibly. And This is important. That means don't drink in excess in front of the children and don't romanticize the lifestyle of drinking and drugging. Because then you are helping create that mirage. That's my words. Practice with them how to avoid bad influences and how to say no. Six, and this one I like. Paint for your children a rosy picture of life and their future. Be optimistic. But do not shy away from letting letting them know that at times life can be challenging. And the challenges of life are precisely the reason that life is so awesome. That... It can be so beautiful if you're not attached and beholden to any of this stuff. And number seven is finally let them know that the clean life is without a doubt the best life. And it's so true. Because anyone who knows that their life is clean, and anyone who has a family who is clean, knows that life is just so much easier. It's so much easier to think, and so much easier to deal when you don't have so many of those things that are clouding how you think and what you do. God tells Moshe Rabbeinu this week to go to Egypt with a stick. And he tells Moshe, the first thing he tells him to do is take that stick and throw it on the ground. And he throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And then he tells Moshe Rabbeinu, bend down and pick it up. And Moshe picks up the tail of the snake and it turns back into a stick. The rabbis say that there was a little message in that. That he says, the Jewish people were once this proud nation. Now by the time Hashem's talking to Moshe Rabbeinu, they are already in Egypt for more than 200 years. As suffering and bondage, they became these lowly people. They became like a snake on the ground. They weren't much. And you might think that this is who they are. Hashem telling Moshe Rabbeinu, not true. Pick them back up from the bottom of the snake. That means they hit really, really, really bad hold the bottom of that stake, and they can become a stick again. And the same thing is very true, is that it's greatest to be off the stairs. But if you're on those steps, and I said heart and heart, it doesn't mean it's ever over. You have to realize that even a stake can become back a stick. And that nation that was so entrenched in Egypt can become this glorious people once again. And so your job, and this maybe is your most important job, is to pay attention and find that minute that you can jump where there's an opening, where they become weakened, when they realize their dumbness of their ways, when they realize the destructiveness of their ways. And when that opening happens, don't just have a nice conversation. Do everything you can. Take out every dollar, call every professional, get all kinds of help. Do whatever you can do because that's your moment. So when that moment comes that you can grab the snake, grab that snake and turn it back into a stick. You can't just, oh, okay, my son looks like he doesn't he's getting better, or my husband's a little getting better, so good oh, we're good now. No, you're not good now. Grab that snake and turn it back into a stick. I want to end with a story that I didn't finish. That boy in the Bahamas. So he wanted $60,000, $63,000, and he gets in a limo with all his friends. The problem is it's illegal to take Six, more than, more than $10,000 of cash on the plane. So the limo driver asks him, like, what are you planning on doing? He says, don't worry, I have a good plan. My 10 friends, we're each going to take like seven, 8000 each. We'll put it in our bags and we'll be fine. He gets to the customs and his friends are not there. What's going on? The guy at customs says, your friends are in that room and you better follow them. He goes into the room and all his friends have their bags open and the security guards are taking the money out. He's describing it to me. It sounds like you're safe running after his brothers. And they're taking their money out. The guards at the airport in the Bahamas said either you fork over every dollar or you're going to jail and your friends are going to jail. He gave back He gave every dollar back, got on the plane without a dime. And he calls me, and that's why he called me. Not to tell me he won 60 grand, to tell me that, Rabbi, I was here, and you don't believe I have in one second, I have nothing left. It's all gone, Rabbi. He stayed frightened me. They scared me. They told me I'd go to jail. I didn't know what to do. I gave it all. Apparently, what probably happened is the limo driver was hired by the hotels and the casinos. They gave it to him for free. The guy nonchalantly asked, what are you planning on doing? They probably paid off the guards. Good God knows what kind of guards there are in the Bahamas. Paid off the guards, and they opened all the bags and took all the money, and there's a bunch of... Twenty-something-year-old kids they, they don't think they're gonna it's, anything is dangerous. There's no recourse. Next thing you know, they're on the plane with nothing. He says, "Rabbi, I thought God loved me. I kept Shabbat. What happened?" I said, "He does." I said, "Your great moment that weekend was not the moment you won. It was the moment you lost it, all. because there's nothing worse than that feeling." Of being that king. Because as long as you think you're a king, you'll keep chasing that for the rest of your life. I said people that are avid gamblers are not people that lose. It's people that win. But because they win, they keep wanting to win. Our mindset and in this room, no one here deals with it, but you may have family members who do. Make them understand this concept. That in this world... Every step is dangerous. And in this world, winning is usually losing. Have a happy and a healthy and a safe vacation.